I'm Sarah Williamson, and this is Going Long with FCLT Global. On this show, you'll learn what it means to be long-term from the top minds in global business and investing. Leaders from companies and investment organizations join us to discuss how they are leading their teams for the long run on issues including capital allocation, risk management, climate change, and sustainability. To learn more, visit our website at fcltglobal.org. This is Sarah Williamson. Thank you for joining us at FCLT Global's podcast, Going Long. Today, our guest is Mark Machen, the president and CEO of CPP Investments. He's been in this role since June of 2016, where he's responsible for leading CPP Investments and it's all of its investment activities. CPP Investments has unique public purpose to help provide a foundation upon which 20 million Canadians build their financial security in retirement. CPP Investments manages over $450 billion in assets under management, which is invested around the globe. Mark joined the fund in 2012 as its first president for Asia. Prior to joining CPP Investments, Mark had a 20-year career at Goldman Sachs. Mark has also been the chair of the FCLT Global Board since January 2020, and CPP Investments was a founding member of FCLT Global. So Mark, thank you so much for joining us for this podcast today. It's a huge pleasure. Great to be here. So maybe we can start with the basics, which is um, many people are familiar with the Canadian model, but not everybody. So could you describe a little bit about the Canadian model for retirement savings and CPP in particular, um, both your your purpose and your time frame? For sure. So our fund, uh, the CPP, is a mandatory fund. So everybody in Canada who works has to pay into the fund, everybody in Canada outside of Quebec. And so we have about 20 million people who, uh, who work pay in or retirees and are beneficiaries from the fund. Uh, so you, you pay in somewhere just over 10% of, of your earnings uh, into the fund. And when you retire, uh, you get, uh, you, you get a, a payout from the fund for the rest of your life, depending on the amount of uh, your, your income uh, when you were working. So that's, that's the fund. Now, our job, CPP Investments, was set up 20 years ago as a completely independent, arm's length, uh, free of all political interference company to, with a sole purpose to manage the money that was, is not immediately needed to pay benefits. So that, that's, that's how we were set up 20 years ago. And uh, we were given a very, very simple purpose, um, which is to maximize returns on the funds without undue risk of loss. Now I say simple, uh, it is simple. Uh, it's terrific that it's uh, simple and clear, but any, any people who are listening who are in the uh, funds management or the, the, the finance world, which I suspect most people are, know that, maximizing returns without undue risk of loss is, is far from simple in, in, in practice. But in any event, that's how we're set up. And so we have grown over the last 20 years from when we first took on the first dollars uh, of, uh, of money to today having somewhere around $460 billion of assets under management. Uh, we invest around the world. We invest across public markets, across private markets, real assets. And we have nine offices. We have uh, approaching about 2,000 people. And we manage 
uh, the money in this broadly diversified portfolio in, in order to achieve that objective of maximizing returns without undue risk. Now, the final thing I say, and why, why, you know, why I'm, why we're so interested in in, in long term and FCLT Global, uh, and you know, why we're so attached to the organization is because you know, long term is, is 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 in our DNA. It's uh, it's it is exactly what we're asked to do because ultimately, we are growing this pool of capital for people's retirements over over many generations. So we uh, we we have a pool of money that. You know, people have to contribute to. Uh, it's a very predictable pool of money. It's a, it's a pool of money that people can't take their money out of other than when they retire. Uh, and it, that comes out in a very predictable way. So it is a very stable and inherently very long-term uh, pool of capital uh, with a goal of building uh, these savings into uh, retire, a retirement uh, security over many, many, many years. Uh, so long, long term is in, in our DNA and our blood. So um, that makes a perfect sense given your time frame and your liabilities. Uh, but how have you actually uh, baked that in the, the long term mindset into what you do? Because of course, there are many uh, pension plans around the world that also have long term liabilities. Perhaps they have different structures than yours, of course. Um, but that struggle with this tension between short-term and long-term. And while there may be long-term goals, the, the, the short-term tensions sometimes uh, over, overwhelm them. So can you give us a couple examples of some of the steps that you all have taken to actually um, bake in that long-term mindset across those almost 2000 people and all those activities around the world? Yeah, for sure. And so first of all, we, we do have a little bit of a structural advantage over many pension funds here in the world. And that is that we have more money coming in from our contributors than we have to pay out to our beneficiaries for many years to come. Uh, and that, that comes out of a, you know, a, a long-term uh, issue in that the fund itself was set up in the 1960s it was set up as a pay-as-you-go fund. Uh, it was set up based on demographic projections in the 1960s, which changed quite profoundly. And to cut a very long story short, uh, it basically was heading into crisis and running out of money in the 1990s. So it was completely restructured in the 1990s. It was put on a sound footing. And part of that sound footing is there are more contributions coming in than benefits being paid uh, for many years. And then we were created to manage the money at arm's length from all politics. So that comes on to the second thing, which is a lot of funds have uh, the challenge of uh, short-term redemptions, which we don't have. A lot of funds have the challenge of when markets turn down, uh, people need to reach into the fund and take money out for government purposes or reserve purposes or other requirements. We don't have that. Uh, so we, we, have, it, we, we are blessed with a number of very strong structural advantages. That said, we've also really worked hard to encourage our teams to have long -term, a long-term mindset. Uh, so we really take advantage of that. So we don't, we're not traders. We don't try and, try and compete in a, in a short-term trading space, you know, high-frequency space or short-term trading space. 
we try and compete in that long-term space where we believe we have that structural advantage. And we, and we pay our people uh, to, uh, based on long-term uh, in long-term performance, not short-term performance. Uh, so that, 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 you know, so it's, it's, it's structural, it's systematic, and, and it even goes down to uh, compensation. And as you think about the long-term in the current environment, clearly we've had um, a lot of volatility this year given um, COVID, but the markets are very strong right now. How do you think about riding through something like the uncertainty and volatility that we've seen? How do you, how do you both take advantage of those sorts of things and keep that long-term um, perspective? How, how do you think about doing both of those at once? Yeah, so... I think a couple of things, but one is that we have to make sure that we have uh, sufficient liquidity, sufficient reserves, uh, sufficiently strong, um, uh, strong uh, uh, you know, re re reserves to uh, comply with any requirements that we may have in, in the shorter term uh, for our portfolio companies, for uh, liabilities that we have, um, or e even in a very unexpected case that which happened in the last 12 months where we actually, uh, with this incredible spike in unemployment, almost almost looked at having, uh, having a net outflow from the fund. And that, that was, I say we almost had that, but we, you know, it's not actually happened. So the first thing is to make sure that you know, we, we, are, we have those sufficient uh, conservative reserves in place. Uh, second, then, is to make sure we also uh, have the uh, ha have the capabilities to to move quickly on opportunities in markets where we see significant uh, disruption and significant value opportunities. Which again, we did to uh, a decent degree back in uh, back in April May. I mean, in hindsight, of course, you know, everybody. Uh, certainly, we um, and, and many of our uh, many of the funds we invested in wish they'd invested more back then. Uh, but we did we did seize a bunch of opportunities across different markets uh, back then. The the third thing is, uh, which I'm sure we're going to talk about more, is is maintaining that long term perspective uh, and making sure that you know we're not caught up in the caught up in over focused in recency. Um, you know, whatever's uh, you know currently buffeting us, you think is going to go on, or you are you over anchor on that, but making sure that we do keep an eye on and, and really heed the long term trends uh, and where the long term value creation uh, could be, and uh, you know we do believe in, in in a lot of cases in mean reversion, uh, and so uh, you know we think, for example, you know, through COVID, there's there's a, there's a bunch of industries that are really suffering right now. There's a bunch of uh, you know, hospitality-based industries that are that are suffering right now. But I think, you know, to take a take an extreme example. I mean, I think if uh, you know, generally, if, I think it would be unlikely that we're not going to go back to eating in restaurants. Uh, so behavior is going to change for quite a while here. Restaurant businesses may may struggle, but I think that that whole hospitality industry, uh, certainly hotels, for example, not, not the, the the ones that are able to weather this are going to come back um, over time. The cruise industry and the cruise lines uh, is another area where we think 
some of the strong will survive here and they are likely to come back over time. Uh, so we're, we're trying to take some contrarian positions uh, in the hospitality industry in, in, uh, in cruise lines. And, you know, hopefully, it, hopefully they turn out to have been uh, good bets and we see uh, somewhat a mean, mean reversion of behavior instead of the stronger companies here we think will do well in the long term. I know you've spent a lot of your career um, in Asia, and obviously the uh, response in some countries in Asia has been uh, different than in countries in the West to, to COVID, and um, the economies are behaving differently as well. So how do you think about the diversification across countries, particularly in this kind of, uh, either particularly in this kind of environment, and also in the long term? Do you, how do you think about uh, investing in the long term in um, Asia versus other parts of the world? Yeah, lo so long term, I think uh, we believe that Asia is going to continue to grow and become a more important part of the world. And that, that's certainly been the case for the last 20, 30 years. So we're, we, whatever metric you look at it from uh, percentage of global GDP, uh, percentage of uh, global market capitalization, percentage of global trade, and it, and it comes back to percentage of people. You know, if you look at uh, you know Asia Pacific, um, reasonably uh, reasonably defined as sixty percent of the world's population, uh, whereas North America is just over four percent, or around four percent of the world's population. So is uh, GDP per capita, or is as person is income, uh, you know, ten it converges uh, towards developed market levels in a number of markets then it, it, clearly Asia is going to continue to uh, emerge as the, lead, the leading region of the world. So um, that, that trend has been you know, not, not necessarily linear, it's been bumpy and will probably continue to be bumpy, but it, but it, 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 seems, to, uh, it seems likely to continue and therefore uh, you know, we should continue to grow our presence in Asia Pacific. So about today, about 30% uh, of the fund is invest, invested in uh, Asia Pacific, and that, that is, uh, that's likely to grow over time. You know, the way, the way that COVID's been handled, I mean, I think there are uh, some idiosyncrasies depending on the type of government that you have, uh, or the, or, or even, not necessarily even type of government, but the, you know, the, the nature of your country, you know, whether you're an island nation, an island country as well, it's easier to, easier to manage, uh, easier to close borders uh, and, uh, and to police those borders. And so, um, so some of those countries have done, you know, exceptionally well uh, in controlling this, you know, for New Zealand, Australia, Taiwan, China, uh, you know, but more, you know, more, uh, you know, larger, more complicated countries, uh, you know, other than China have uh, struggled with, uh, with the management of COVID. So clearly this has given a, a little bit of a boost on a relative basis to some parts of Asia. Uh, but I, I think the longer term trend is the more important one. So another long-term trend that we see um, that I know you all have been involved in is thinking about um, gender equity and diversity in markets. Clearly the, um, the, the road uh, to both gender and racial equity may be a bit bumpy, but the hopefully the direction of travel is clear. And I know that CPP has been a leader in thinking about how corporate leaders can identify and attract diverse candidates. 
Can you talk about um, sort of your your perspective on on the the role that you have as a large shareholder in encouraging um, companies that you invest in um, to be more diverse? How you how you see that and how you see that playing out over the the next uh, few years? Yeah, for sure. And this this is an area that you know, we can talk a lot about. Uh, it's it's one where the uh, I, I think. Uh, the good news is there's a there's a lot of momentum for change here, and that 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 is uh, you know that that's that that's excellent. So we we ultimately uh, want to create long term value, long term risk adjusted returns, and we think there's more than sufficient evidence to show that. Uh, and FCLT Global's done this work as well. There's more than sufficient evidence to show that long term risk adjusted returns are correlated with. Uh, diversity, uh, diversity on boards, diversity of senior management. Uh, we did ourselves did a meta analysis of about a hundred external uh, research uh, research uh, reports. We also did our own analysis of several thousand securities, uh, looking at long term value creation and, and controlled for all sorts of other aspects that could have led to that, whether it's you know, industry sector or uh, type, type, of, uh, type of company, you know, growth versus value or uh, all these other facts that we controlled for all these factors and then looks at uh, diversity alone, isolating that alone. And it looks it, it look really compelling to us that it is correlated with long-term value creation. So pl plenty of uh, quantitative analysis proving that. And then in practice, I think, uh, it, it's, it's quite clear why, in that it leads to more robust decision-making, better decision-making, more diversity of thought, uh, more challenge. Um, now, diversity is hard. It, it's a little harder than assembling a bunch of people who are of, you know, same gender, same group, same mindset. Uh, it, it, but that can lead to the perils of groupthink and, uh, and also a little bit of lazy thinking as well. So I think when you, if you work hard, if you, if you create this diverse environment, you can get much better outcomes. Um, you know, we see it in our own organization. We've seen it in so many other organizations. So with that in mind, we're, we're not doing this to change the world. As, as, as one of my fellow board members in FCLT Global has said, the discussion here has gone from values to value, and it's about risk-adjusted returns for us. So we we uh, push for this in the public companies that we uh, it, we invest in. We push for it on the private companies that we invest in, and we push for it on the funds that we invest in. So direct and indirect investing, uh, we push in, in a whole bunch of ways to increase. Uh, the dimensions of diversity uh, and diversity on boards. And we started off with public companies and we started off in Canada, in particular on voting against boards that didn't have women on the board. Uh, we took that and extended that out globally a couple of years ago. We've increased the requirements in Canada to two board directors uh, and we continue to increase this, uh, you know, across, we'll, we'll continue to increase this probably across the world. And we, we uh, continue to push this on the private side as well. On the private side, by some metrics, you know, there's three times the number of boards, just for example, in the US versus public companies, there's a lot of work to do in private companies. 
And that leads to this whole discussion of stakeholder capitalism. So there's, you know, there are varying definitions of stakeholder capitalism, but there's a lot of discussion about the idea that um, capitalism is really meant to benefit all of the stakeholders rather than simply the short-term shareholder. You, of course, are a long-term shareholder. So how do you how do you think about as a as a long-term shareholder? How do you think about stakeholder capitalism and its effect on your returns as as probably one of the longest term shareholders that are that are out there. Yeah, well, I, I'd say, um, I mean, ultimately, we do, you know, we our fund and our pensioners do depend on the financial returns. So ultimately, that that is important. But I would say there's not a lot of misalignment here. Um, certainly, when it comes to ESG, uh, so I'll start off with ESG and environmental social governance concerns. Uh, there's not a lot of misalignment between ESG and uh, good risk-adjusted long-term returns. I mean, and, and some of this is sort of obvious or you know, maybe simplistic from a distance. I mean, companies that um, in the short term trash their environment are going to end up in with a lot of fines, a lot of regulatory issues, uh, a lot of risk, a lot of health issues, uh, uh, you know, legal issues. And so, you know, it, being thinking about long term environmental degradation is probably aligned with a lot of companies, uh, a lot of companies long term returns. Uh, similarly, with social issues, I mean, companies that uh, you know, abuse labor companies that uh, don't uh, don't engage with our local communities uh, are going to end up with similar problems with uh, you know with, with their, the the environments and the uh, the communities that they live in, uh, and also with their customers. Customers' uh, behavior, customers are not going to like these companies. Not going to want to engage with these companies. Don't want to buy their products. Uh, and likewise, on the governance front, we talked a little bit about diversity, but again. Uh, poorly governed companies generally don't, you know, are, are not great bets in the long term. So all, all of these indicators are are generally aligned with the long term. Now, what 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 we tend to look for is um, those indicators that really matter to that particular industry or that particular company, uh, and and weight those uh, importantly. So, for example, the uh, the 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 water consumption of an asset manager, uh, you know, a publicly traded asset manager, is probably less relevant to us than the water consumption of uh, a, a, um, a textile company. Um, so, you know, how uh, how how much uh, you know the textile company thinks about uh, water, water security, water uh, consumption, clean water. Uh, in its in the environment and communities around it, that probably matters a lot more to us than looking at you know how much a publicly traded asset management company in New York uses water. So it's things that are really relevant and things that are really relevant for the long term uh, viability of the companies. So when I think about stakeholder capitalism, some of this is common sense that you need to look after. Uh, if in the long term, it's common sense. It, it means you need to look after uh, not just your shareholder, but your Customers, your employees, your community, and then have this have uh, you know think about the environment and, and these social and governance obligations. And as we think about the environment or climate in particular, 
Um, clearly, as a long-term investor, climate is both a risk and an opportunity for, for you. So, you know, climate is a risk in terms of assets you might own or real changes in, um, you know, patterns of uh, weather or migration. Uh, but it's also an opportunity in that it looks like as we transition to a greener economy, there will be a need for um, significant amounts of capital to, to, to retool and, and transition. So how are you thinking about kind of the, 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 the risks and the, and the opportunities of investing um, with a climate lens? And, and how do you expect that to change over the next few years? Yeah, I mean, this is, this is a massive issue. It's one that we've been working on for the last 11 years or so. And, you know, is, is, is the big issue of our time. Uh, and the, again, the good news here is um, at the time we're doing this podcast, the US is back in the Paris Agreement and we are rapidly heading towards COP26 uh, and the uh, hopefully uh, e even more momentum in the world to tackle this. But th this is, uh, you know, I, I, I think th th this is somewhere where there's momentum, but there needs to be a lot more, a lot more momentum. I mean, I think some of the, the, the biggest moves have uh, been uh, companies announcing when they want to go carbon neutral, uh, countries announcing, well, companies and now countries announcing that as well. And I think that's going to really accelerate a lot of, a lot of activity here. Uh, the more countries that set those goalposts, uh, the more companies are going to have to move uh, to, to meet those uh, carbon neutral um, dates. I mean, someone said the, bit, the best news of last year was China's announcement of carbon neutral, which, yeah, is 2060, but you know, doing some back of the envelope calculation, they calculated that's probably going to reduce the world's uh, temperature by that time by about uh, by about alone by about 0.3 degrees. So that that's you know, someone said that's probably the best news of uh, of last year. I you know the so the, the, there's there's a huge amount that's going to go on here from our point of view. Again, we look at it through this risk return lens and there are multifaceted risks that we need to understand. Uh, there, there are risks uh, when we invest in, when every major investment we make, we put through a climate change lens and we have to think about things like uh, what will be the physical and geographical changes that could happen uh, that are caused by climate change. What, what are the regulatory changes uh, that are uh, inspired by climate change that could impact the company? What are the consumer uh, behavior changes that could impact the company? So, uh, you know, for example, you know, we recently invested in uh, toll road in Indonesia. Uh, you know, it's going to be a long-term investment. It's going to, we expect to hold it over many decades. And one of the most important risks to that investment is even though it's, a, it's, it's just a road uh, between two cities, one of the most important risks is climate change and what's that gonna do to flooding patterns, what's that gonna do to maintenance costs, what's that gonna do to traffic patterns um, on, the, on the island. So the, the, these things are you know, really important for us from a bottoms up perspective for each investment that we make. And also from a, from a top down perspective, we're trying to be thoughtful about how we uh, how we construct the portfolio overall uh, and, and take, uh, take climate risk into account uh, as well from a top-down perspective. 
So as I'm sure you know, in the US, the Department of Labor had um, a, a ruling um, a few months ago that has been discouraging um, investors to consider from considering climate change. It sounds like what you're saying is it's pretty hard or, or perhaps even imprudent to make a long-term investment like the investment in the toll road that you mentioned without considering climate change. How do, how do, you, how do you sort of uh, uh, square those two? I, well, I can't really comment on that ruling, but I definitely agree with your follow-on statement. <laughs> so I, de I definitely agree that it would be imprudent to make a long-term investment without considering climate change. Now, in, in some cases, maybe in, you know, in, in a, a bunch of cases, it's not gonna matter that much, but I think you need, you need to really think about it for every investment. And you need to think quite carefully because it may not be, it may not be obvious. Um, you know, you, it may not be immediately obvious that you are running a bunch of climate risk by taking on that investment. There's gonna be so much change here uh, over the next, uh, even over the next decade, and there needs to be a huge amount of change. I think part of your part of your previous question was, you know, how do we think about this amount of capital that's needed uh, to invest to catalyze this change? Uh, we we uh, we obviously think this is uh, this is a this is a fantastic opportunity, uh, and you know we we want to catalyze you know this optimal transition, you know, moving to as fast as we possibly can to uh, a uh, low carbon economy and doing that with the minimal hit to output GDP uh, and the profitability of companies. And I think, you know, we, we're moving rapidly towards those types of solutions, but there's going to be uh, lots of innovation. Innovation has to be part of the solution. I think Bill Gates has articulated this many times that innovation has to be part of the solution here. So there's a lot of basic uh, investment that needs to be done. There's a lot of huge amount of renewable power investment that needs to be done. And we, we're big investors in that uh, in, uh, in North America, in Europe, in Asia, uh, South America. Uh, and there's also a lot, I say, a lot of innovation that's going to be required. And, and long-term capital is going to be a critical part of that, whether it's in carbon capture, whether it's in hydrogen, whether it's in deep geothermal, some of these areas where, or, or, long, or battery technologies and that type of te technology innovation that's going to be required here to, be, to create the, the whole solution and get us as fast as possible to that zero carbon world. Yeah, and all of those things that you mentioned are things that require significant amounts of capital. They're not, um, you know, an app on your phone or something. They 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 need they they need real money. So that it that it's a it's a huge opportunity. Um, coming back to FCLT Global, you've been uh, you're the chair of the board. Uh, CPP's been involved since the since the very beginning. Uh, as we look forward, you know, we're thinking about these issues of climate and climate investing in particular, or how to, how to move large amounts of money to climate solutions. Uh, we're thinking a lot about governance and diversity. We're thinking a lot about stakeholder capital, capitalism in practice. And we've thought a lot about metrics. How do you, you know, as we're evaluating new risks and thinking about companies in new ways, um, what are metrics that make sense for um, investors to, to think about some of these things. So um, can you talk a little bit about the, the issues that, that you see as being the most challenging in terms of this goal of rebalancing capital markets to support a long-term sustainable economy and, and, and where you think there's a, um, a real opportunity for FCLT to, to make a difference? 
Yeah, well, I think FCLT has made, made a real difference in the last five years uh, since its existence in, in moving more and more people to thinking about uh, long-term uh, long investing. I, I sometimes joke that we should have probably uh, set up an institute on short-term investing to encourage more people to do that and left the long-term space just for, just for us to invest uh, because, uh, because more and more people are, are you know, really, really thinking this way. And we recently published the, the FCLT Compass to try and track that, uh, you know, how, how, much, how much of a difference we're making. Uh, it's, it's one effort to do that. Uh, but, you know, the goal is to, is to really move, uh, move that mindset because the more capital that is aligned with ultimately with uh, long-term uh, value creation for savings, uh, for people's, people's lives, people's retirement, uh, and then that money gets through to companies to build value in the long term, the better. It's going gonna, it's gonna to create a lot more money. So in terms of metrics, um, you know, th th there's, uh, you know, th there's a lot that's, that's been going on, a lot of things we've been talking about on this podcast. Um, I'd say, you know, it, we, uh, we at CPP Investments really encourage companies to uh, to, to publish quantitative numbers on the you know, beyond the normal numbers. So when you get to ESG, uh, really to publish publish numbers, uh, publish real numerical targets, less adjectives, more numbers, and then we can we can work with those numbers. And we also have been pushing for a standardization of numbers as well. So, uh, for example, um, in ESG, we've been pushing for uh, the uh, SASB uh, reporting methodology, uh, the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board methodology. And for climate change, uh, we've been pushing along with our peers, uh, the TCFD uh, standard for uh, climate-related uh, climate financial disclosure. And I think get, that's getting more and more traction. And, you know, because that one of the challenges for companies, for investors, et cetera, is this alphabet soup of all the different metrics that are out there. And uh, so I think uh, I think FCLT Global has also uh, been uh, you know pushing this consolidation of reporting and moving towards you know more more quantitative metrics of uh, of, of these types of uh, sustainability uh, measures. I'm going to remember the uh, less adjectives, more numbers, uh, because I think that is uh, a big part of this uh, discussion about uh, disclosure. Well, um, we've covered uh, an awful lot of uh, topics in this, in, in this time. Um, and as we look forward, um, it, are there any um, things that we should market trends, we should anticipate? What's the next thing that's going to, you know, the, the next surprise that we're, we, we don't know is coming? Um, what are other things that, that you would suggest that investors or businesses think about? I mean, is it the next pandemic? Is it climate change? Is it political unrest? Is it um, maybe smoother sailing than we've had um, recently? Uh, so any, any words of wisdom as we try to look into the crystal ball of the future? Yeah, well, let's see how this podcast ages over the next several months. But I guess my, 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 my um, you know, while while, you know, this is a long term podcast, and this is about FCLT Global, uh, I, uh, I, I'm going to make a shorter term prediction that uh, the you know, there's going to be, a, I think, a pickup in volatility over the next uh, several months here, as I think we're seeing the uh, the the 
move towards all clear and getting out of this pandemic, unfortunately, is going to be a bit of a bumpy ride. You know, there, there, there's going to be bumps in terms of vaccine rollouts. There's going to be bumps in terms of uh, mutations. Uh, there's going to be bumps in terms of uh, the uh, the re-engineering of some of the vaccine. Hopefully, uh, we don't have immune escape here and, uh, and it carries on for even longer than we're all anticipating right now. But it's going to be a bumpy ride. Uh, I think, though... As all, I think the big the big issue, and it, and it's terrific. We got COP twenty six uh, towards the end of this year. The big issue is is climate change. That that I think uh, I think a, a lot of wise heads are focused on that as the as one of, if not the next big crisis. And it's terrific to see the the world really coalesce around uh, tangible action to address this and uh, and having this terrific catalyst uh, later this year, which is really going to uh, catalyze activity this year in, in people setting more and more bold uh, uh, targets and, and really thinking about accelerating their actions towards reducing the amount of carbon in the uh, in the atmosphere. Yeah, that's I, I, it is. It's, it feels like there's a lot of momentum, um, and COP26 is a is a focal point of that. Um, from FCLT's perspective, you know, we are thinking hard about how do we um, use the capital markets to support that transition to a greener economy. How can the capital markets be supportive of the uh, responses to climate change? And so that's going to be a big part of our um, agenda over the over the next few months um, leading up to leading up to COP26. So with that, I think I'll say thank you, Mark. This has been um, quite the, the uh, around the world tour de force of uh, investing and thinking about long-term. And obviously you have been such a, a leader in this area and such a driver for um, pushing long-term sustainable investing. And so um, we, uh, we appreciate your leadership. Uh, we appreciate your time today. Thank you. Well, thank you, Sarah. Huge pleasure. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Going Long with FCLT Global. Be sure to hit subscribe to get new episodes every other Monday. To learn more, visit our website at fcltglobal.org.